0: Before I read the scripture this morning, I want to say a short prayer of illumination. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words recorded for us to learn your teachings and your ways. Open our minds to learn about you and our hearts to know you more intimately. Holy Spirit, quicken our souls. TO WHAT THESE WORDS ARE SAYING TO THIS GENERATION THIS MORNING, AMEN. SCRIPT THIS MORNING, AS BEFORE, IS JOHN 13, VERSE 1. NOW BEFORE THE FEAST OF THE PASSOVER, WHEN JESUS KNEW THAT HIS HOUR HAD COME TO DEPART OUT OF THIS WORLD TO THE FATHER, HAVING LOVED HIS OWN WHO WERE IN THE WORLD, HE LOVED THEM TO THE END this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ.
1: Thank you, Jeffrey. In um, January, I had no wedding scheduled as a pastor, and then suddenly I had, I think, six, maybe seven. It's one of the incredible honors being a pastor is to get to stand where I get to stand, and then try to remember to duck when they kiss, because if you don't, you could be someone's Facebook profile picture forever. <laughs> I'm really trying to get better at ducking. And I um, had a wedding yesterday, I have a wedding today, and have a wedding next Friday, and it's an incredible honor. And at most of the weddings that I do, it seems to me, and I, I could be a little off on this, that there's a collision for really everyone in the room between their longing and their cynicism longing to believe in a love that's good and beautiful and romantic and steadfast and cynicism because of how often we see love go awry in little ways and in medium ways through fatigue or through harm or through bad mentoring and what do people of faith do when they sense the collision of their cynicism and their longing we not only long to be loved well we long to extend it and yet it goes awry so often so quickly. We're so capable of harm. My 16-year-old is a little more into um, horror-type films than she used to be, and she asked me what the scariest movie I've ever seen is. And I said, Whiplash. Whiplash is about two musicians who also happen to be sociopaths, and they show just how very, 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 very much humans can harm one another. But what do people of faith do? as we experience, or have a sense of, our cynicism and our longing. And by the way, every person is a person of faith. It's just, where do we place that faith? The very best of the atheist writers actually state that better than most people of Christian faith, because they understand it more profoundly as they've studied it. Well, what we do, Christians, followers of Jesus, people of the text, as we return to the Word, and especially the person of Jesus, wondering what, gazing at him, allowing our minds to grapple with who all of Scripture says that he is, and especially when talking about his heart, what does that do to our cynicism and our longing? How does it grow us up? And we turn to Jesus, and John tells us that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And we see in this chapter Jesus' utter humility. He know, and in this particular case, he knows who he is and what he needs to do, and who he's not, and what he does not need to do. Which is not a great definition of humility, but it is what humility looks like in action. We see Jesus continuing to pursue people through healthy, redemptive touch we even believe that exists, and I'm not talking about romance, I'm talking about friendship. Jesus touches so often, and in this particular chapter he washes the disciples' feet just after allowing Mary to anoint him in a way that would have made us uncomfortable. If you know the story, it's not the first time even that that happened to Jesus, and let's be honest, we would have been both uncomfortable with what she did, washing his feet with expensive ointment, and how he received it. I mean, has anyone ever washed your feet? Have you ever washed someone else's feet? I've never seen it happen without people being just a little bit uncomfortable. And I've never seen it with perfume. Having loved, Jesus says, love is kind. And by kind, I don't mean nice. Love needs to say true things clearly. And the difference between Jesus and most other, or all other, is he does not shy away from his enemies. He washed Judas's feet. Because that's what his love is like. His love is not convenient. Sometimes our cynicism comes out of, did that person love me because they were for me and moved towards me, or was it convenient? Jesus doesn't love to get a response. I hate when I realize that I'm doing something nice, hoping that they'll respond. And I've learned to hate that because I've learned that that isn't love. Part of love is actually asking for a response. But not loving so that. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't love because he was raised that way and he doesn't love because he was raised poorly and he's going to react against that and be the opposite of it, which by the way is a terrible way to do life. Just a little tidbit on the side. He loved because it's who he is because that's his mind and heart and very bowels, if you were here last week for the Sermon on Jeremiah, his his very motivation is to be for us. John is the last gospel written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, probably one of the last books written in the New Testament, and here John is explaining things that he's seeing Christians miss in the latter half of the first century, and so he's helping us understand Jesus talks and washes the disciples' feet and talks about his betrayal in chapter 13, but this is John's interpretation that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I think John had more long-term goals than a lot of the New Testament writers. If you read especially the shorter books in the New Testament, there's an urgency to them. And it's because most of the first century followers of Christ expected him to return quite soon. John's getting up there in age. He has seen more than a few Christians uh, depart and go to heaven. And so he writes sentences like this to help us understand what Jesus did when he was still here and our own encouragement. Probably my third favorite thing about preaching this series is seeing how different scriptural authors make the same point. John is expecting this to deeply, profoundly encourage a follower of Christ. That Jesus, having loved his own, which is any of us who have given our allegiance and faith to him, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. If you read the book of Romans, through Revelation especially, you can't help but conclude that this promise is even more true for you and for me than it was for the disciples. That having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He washes the disciples' feet, and it's the final, earthly, symbolic gesture of Jesus to his followers for the small, confused, but full of affection group, of messianic community. These are the people that knew that Jesus was the Savior. They didn't know what it meant yet. And he gives them a symbolic cleansing, symbol of what faith in Jesus does. Which cleanses us and forgives us from sin, it sends us back out into the world. Jesus himself had just been prepared for his death through the anointing of Mary. This is in chapter 12. And I believe these passages are linked. I had never seen this before in the scripture, or, um, but I believe they're linked. So they gave a great dinner for him there. I'm in chapter 12, verse 2. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. I texted a bunch of pastors yesterday about this, and um, one of them, my friend Brian, said, Mary prepared Jesus to die, and Jesus prepared the disciples to die. And what my friend was getting at is Galatians 2.20, that in in putting our faith in Jesus, we are allowing the Holy Spirit to put to death our old self, to become someone with a new heart, given them by Christ. I loved that. He, he actually texted me later and said, I said it better than he did, but it's still his word, so I wanted to give him credit. Oftentimes when I offer to you the sacrament of communion, I say this is the body and blood of Jesus Christ, which is for you. And by virtue of its great power and provision, Jesus is yours and you are his today and eternally. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 28 using different language. And here, John is explaining to us that Jesus, having loved his own, which is us, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And if you're a Christian, and this is not new information for you, It's supposed to encourage you. I think John expected this to encourage the followers of Christ who were spread all over the Mediterranean, who were some being persecuted very actively, some in small part. He expected this to encourage them. He expected them to understand the interconnection of really all of Scripture, but especially the New Testament, that this is true for anyone whose allegiance is Jesus's. This story... found in mark 14 and in john 13 and 14 is it was passover the time when god's people remembered how god had rescued them from being slaves in egypt this is the setting of the foot washing every year they killed a lamb and ate it the lamb died instead of us they would say but this passover god was getting ready for an even greater rescue jesus and his friends were having the passover meal together in an upstairs room but jesus's friends were arguing what about they were arguing about stinky feet sneaky feet Yes, that's right. Stinky feet. Now, the thing about feet back then was that people didn't wear shoes. They only wore sandals, which might not sound unusual, except that the streets in those days were dirty. And I don't mean just dusty dirty. I mean, really stinky dirty with all those cows and horses everywhere. You can imagine the stuff on the street that ended up on their feet. And the reason I read from this is there's so much in a good writer's hands and explaining to a child what was going on that we miss or take for granted, that adds to the beauty and profund, profundity, profound nature of what Jesus chose to do on his last night with his friends. So anyway, someone had to wash away the dirt, but it was a dreadful job. Who on earth would ever dream of volunteering to do it? Only the lowliest servant, which is excellent exegesis, Excellent understanding of the text. I'm not the servant, Peter said, nor am I, said Matthew. Quietly, Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, picked up a basin of water, knelt down, and started to wash his friend's feet. You can't, Peter said. He didn't understand about Jesus being the servant king. If you don't let me wash away the dirt, Peter, Jesus said, you can't be close to me. That's really well said. If you don't let me wash away the dirt, Peter, Jesus said, you can't be close to me. Jesus knew that what people needed most was to be clean on the inside. All the dirt on their feet was nothing compared to the sin inside their hearts. Then wash me, Lord, Peter said, tears filling his eyes, all of me. One by one, Jesus washed everyone's feet, including Judas's. I'm doing this because I love you, Jesus explained. Do this for one another. Having loved his own who were in the world, Throughout the scriptures, there is a tension presented that being a follower of Christ will at times, not always, but at times, be very uncomfortable for us and for those around us. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisees' house brought an alabaster flask of of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Do you realize how uncomfortable you would be if you were sitting nearby? How many of us would, like, if we were here, Jesus is here, and she comes up, would just be like, And not just because what she's doing, but because Jesus was able to receive it so straightforwardly. Isn't that how broken we are because of our cynicism and our longing? Not only do we not offer love straightforwardly or as knowledgeably as we long to, receiving it is part of our brokenness as well. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. This is a terrific example of Jesus' humility and gentleness to a Pharisee. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they both could not Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. In college, I remember um, this being used as an example of how the Bible contradicts itself. Because in one book, it's Mary, in another, it's not Mary. I have a big, fat ESV study Bible that I keep right by my desk at home, because generally, if I'm working on my sermon on a Saturday, it's at home, not at the office, and it had the best explanation of how that's absurd that I've ever read. It said, (laughs) This is a different event at a different time, with a different woman, different actions, different critics. And most importantly, a different response from Jesus. I'm like, wow, this Bible was worth the price. I didn't pay for it. My father-in-law gave it to me. (laughs) Both times, cleansing's happening once through Jesus offering it, and then through Jesus symbolically teaching the disciples about it. this is John's way of describing what the writer of Hebrew would call our citizenship in heaven. This is why Peter describes us as exiles Paul as saints the New Testament is very interested in us um, understanding that if we are in Christ the world will oftentimes be an uncomfortable place for us. The writer of Hebrew says we have no lasting city and that's supposed to encourage us To hang in there. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Matthew 28, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 7.25 says he loves to the uttermost. And I have said this before, and I believe this to be true, though this is my own formulation of the sweetness of the gospel lived out. I didn't learn this from someone else directly. We long to offer a love like this, that's steadfast and true, kind and good. And we cannot offer what we have not received. When my children were younger, we would discipline them by saying their name, name's Caroline Kelton Blazer, and I love you and nothing will ever change that. I can't do it now because they're teenagers, they just start repeating it back. I know, I know, we have had to change styles. But when they were younger, and I long for that to be true, that second sentence, and nothing will ever change that. And you cannot kick your sister. Right? And I believe the Holy Spirit is growing me in that because that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so in looking at the very heart of Jesus and looking at what motivates him is that our minds might be more in awe of who he is. It is that our affections might be more moved to obedience to him, regardless of its costliness, regardless of its inconvenience, regardless of how the world will esteem it when we love even those in our lives that are not for us. I'm a big fan of a preacher in New York City named Tim Keller, and I feel like 75% of his sermons end with, do you believe this? If you're considering the gospel, and if you do believe it, believe it more deeply. That's our hope as Christians. That's why we show up to corporate worship. That in our singing, that in our friendship with one another, that in our listening and in our prayers, our minds and hearts more easily trust the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 12 writes the inspiration differently. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance setting aside sin, looking to Jesus. The book of Revelation is summarized by a theologian this way, and I'm bouncing all over the scriptures because in looking at the heart of God, we actually learn from the entirety of scripture. Theologian Marvidon says that the revelation, revelation can be summarized this way. Jesus is king. Satan thinks he is. Hang in there. Which is also true of Mark 13 or 1 Thessalonians, apocalyptic texts. Their goal is to encourage you He is king and to hang in there. And that's why John writes this to summarize what Jesus was doing in the upper room. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Which is marvelous, marvelous news. Would you pray with me? Father, we do indeed trust you. Would you help us to trust you easily and actively, quickly and regardless of convenience? Jesus, we receive your teachings as good even as they confront us. Would you help us to follow you joyfully from a place of thankfulness? Would you help us to obey? Holy Spirit, we long to live in this light with the people and the work that you've given us to do in the light of your heart, which loves to the uttermost and to the end. Amen.